You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. What is up, Surf Splendor podcast listeners? This is your host, David Scales. Welcome back for yet another hour of surf news. Although today I have a new co-host, Scott Bass is actually out of town. So Tom Resvin, Southern California, kind of ex-current slash pro surfer, but um, really interesting dude, a lot of time in the surf biz and uh, surfing around the world actually. So great guy, good friend of mine, Um, glad to introduce you to him. And then if you're new to Surf Splendor, welcome to the show. I encourage you to track down the episode that I did last week, which was with the founder of Surfing Magazine. His name is Richard Graham and was involved in launching the Lightning Bolt label. Uh, He was involved in Hang 10 Clothing. So he's got a super interesting um, background in surf history, Uh, really influential player, you know, was a part of all sorts of different... uh, movements and evolution and was friends with pretty much everybody and anybody who came up in surfing from the 70s and 80s. So please listen to that. He's actually running a Kickstarter campaign right now to fund the final stage of production in a coffee table book that he's putting together called The Ride. And I think there's about a week left. Actually, I think there's 10 days left in that Kickstarter campaign. So if you'd like to participate in that, contribute to it, uh, get that done in the next 10 days. Looks like he's going to hit his goal, or he's, he's close to it anyways. But I'm sure he could use your help. And additionally, I think there's over 40 episodes of Surf Splendor in the archives now. Sean Thompson, Chris Cote, lots of interesting guests. Um, so I encourage you, just go back. You can find everything for free archived on surfsplendorpodcast.com and also in iTunes and Stitcher and wherever you download podcasts. If you listen in iTunes or Stitcher, just please make sure to rate and review the show. That helps other people to find it and it helps the audience grow. And um, we really appreciate you doing that. Uh, The show has been growing every week, every episode, and uh, each month the download numbers get stronger and stronger. And I'm working on some new concepts and ideas for 2015, which will involve travel. And so if we can continue to increase this show's listenership, we should be able to find um, underwriters or sponsors that can help me get to those destinations that I need to get to to produce shows in 2015. So um, I'm excited for what's to come, but it's still a long way off. So right now, just keep growing the base growing the listenership, and we really appreciate your assistance in helping us do so. So without further ado, this is David Scales saying thank you for listening. Enjoy today's show, and I will be back in the end to sign us off. Welcome 
to the show, Rezzy. Thank you uh, very much. Tom Resvin is our co-host for today. Um, I gotta say, like, I've actually wanted to implement you into this show for a long time now. I know we talked a year or two ago about yeah. doing some sort of documentary that would have been video, mm -hmm. but as I've kind of um, been exploring this audio platform, I'm like, dude, I don't know how to tell Rezzy's story, but someone's got to document the story. And I, and I think this is a good platform to do it, but I don't know the right where to begin. It, story's not over. We're in the middle somewhere. So I don't know. The man. story's over when I die. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it's a uh, long ways away still. So it's kind of yeah. like, but it's a super interesting story. But um, another thing kind of before we get into your story that I don't think I ever told you mm -hmm. was my first exposure to you was in high school I collected every surf magazine that would come out, which was two, basically, Surfer mm -hmm. and Surfing. And uh, you're on the back cover, that Rip Curl back cover advertisement, yeah. doing that layback. Yeah, I um, remember. That was my first introduction, and I, I was able to um, retain a lot of information back then, so I knew every surfer's name, who their sponsors were. I'm like, dude, Tom Resvin, who's this guy? This guy's ripping. So that was my first exposure to you. Thanks. No, yeah. I, yeah, that was a was a good moment. So, what's the story, dude? What's your pro surfing background, or? Um... Um, well, uh, I like to just consider myself a surfer, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I I surf on a professional level, or I I've been a pro surfer. I don't know what you want to call it because sure. there's so many levels of pro surfing these days. It, you know, you have the pro surfers that surf on the world tour, you have professional free surfers, right. then you have these guys that are hired by companies for lifestyle and modeling and, and the fact that they're good at music and art, but uh, they get paid to surf, um, I don't know. So, uh, And then you have guys that are surfing on a high level that don't always get a paycheck, but right. are on a professional level, not on an amateur level. Right. So, uh, Well, what was your... Like time frame that you came up in mid nineties, I'd say. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, from from going from amateur to professional, uh, mid nineties. Yeah. Okay. I'm from that uh, mid nineties, early two thousands generation, but uh, I'm still driven to push my surfing till this day. Um, yeah. I, I always believe in improving um, yourself, not just in the water, but in every every aspect of life. Um, which is an important part of your story, and we'll get into that. But in the mid nineties, mm -hmm. um. So you were competing in the mid-90s. Who were you competing against at that time? And okay. do you have any specific stories of guys who we know? Mm. Like matchups well, with anybody? Uh, I mean, gosh, it's hard to come up with the memories right off the bat. But um, uh, a contest that stands out is I remember um, at Trussell's, is one of my favorite waves is lowers. Um, I had to do, like, from the very beginning trials. And I think it started all the way in Oceanside. I had to go through, oh, like, damn. two or three heats and... I had to go surf against like a guy who I think it was in he was in like the momentum like videos. He had a couple ways like Hayden Alessandro. Oh yeah. Then rap then rap boy and um and then I, I eventually got into to surf lowers and the waves were six to eight foot faces every day till the end. Um and then I got to surf against like Bruce Irons and Chris Drummy was on top then. Um uh, this guy Brandy Faber was on top yep. then. Uh there's I surfed I think seven rounds and so I got to surf uh, five of those rounds uh, at lowers six to eight foot which was amazing yeah and um, I remember I got to beat Bruce Hines in one heat which was cool because I mean that was he was eighteen I think I was twenty one mm -hmm. so you can't say that he was total round but at eighteen Kelly I think won 
lowers in black and white. So Felipe Toledo's eighteen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but that you know, uh, Bruce Irons is an amazing surfer, so I was pretty stoked. And That's that right. Eat. And then, um, uh, yeah, it just uh, where'd you finish in that comp? Oh, I think I made the the heat right before the quarterfinals. Okay. Um, you do all that work, I know. and the TV rounds were the quarterfinals, and I made it right before. So. You know, forgotten to most, but not yeah. to me. But um, that's awesome. And then I've also made semis and stuff in the sure. in the lower rated events, like the what is it, the two stars and three stars, um, at at Newport Beach. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's uh, Timmy Reyes, Micah Byrne, those guys were still doing that contest at lowers. I remember they were in the trials rounds, but there were Groms. I can only yeah. imagine they must have been sixteen right. or so. Uh, I, I remember seeing the names of the heat sheets. So right. They were around back then. Totally. Yeah. Well, um, I, we will figure out a way to devote a show or maybe multiple shows to mm -hmm. kind of a lot of your history because there's a lot that we're not going to get into today. Yeah. No but a couple things that I do want to point out is like you've surfed that wave pool in Dubai. Yeah. You yeah. still travel a lot on your own dime. You yes. Just, you just got back, right? Um, there was a giant swell oh, down yeah. in Indo and Tahiti yes. and stuff. Yes, I went to Desert Point um, for my birthday. I saw a swell coming. I was initially trying to go about a month and a half ago. My, my dad got um, an infection, so I had to stay and advocate for him. Uh, and then, so another swell was coming around on my birthday, and I saw it six days in advance. And uh, I literally, I, I have this pass, airline pass that I go on standby, so... I just went, boom, strike mission, got Desert Point for four days, two epic days, and the other couple days we're watching the swell increase. But, uh, yeah, it was firing. That was June 19th and 20th. Okay, we saw all that swell, like on Surfline was tracking yes. it and posting that Correct. Um, that Tabarua session, cloud break session with, like, Bobby Martinez and Kelly Slater. It was around the same time, yes. Yeah. Yeah. South Pacific is yeah, yeah. active. So right. It came all so over. you said you were, you surfed Desert Point a couple days and then watched the swell rise the next couple days? Yeah, well, just... I was surfing when it was one foot, uh, warming up as it went to chest high, and then uh, I think on the 19th it was head high in the morning, and then uh, I went and had lunch. Next thing I know, I, I took a nap for an hour, wake up, and it's uh, eight to ten foot faces. And I'm like, wow, this place changes like in a snap of a finger. I knew that Desert Point's a weird wave. Like yeah. within a matter of two hours, it'll go from chest high to double overhead. Yeah. So it's so, but you paddle out there, right? When it's that big, or yeah, that's yeah. not that's to me that's not big. I mean, okay. it's a, this day and age, big is uh, thirty foot. <laughs> no, so I know. Well, put to eighty foot. So when you word the way you worded it, is I watched the swell rise. I was thinking watching it from the beach. You oh, know, like, holy no, no, crap! No. It's getting big. No, 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 like like you know, monitoring it yeah. and then surfing through it being flat. Sure, so, sure, sure. That was, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. How was your experience in that wave pool in Dubai? Uh, amazing. Uh, You've you know, been there a couple times, right? Yes, twice. Okay. Uh, the obviously uh, I saw the Globe's video. Uh, electric blue. Heaven. Yeah, electric blue heaven, and I was just so mesmerized by it because I remember seeing the first viral video six months earlier of the guys that actually work at the wave pool surfing it, and uh, but w when I saw electric blue heaven, I got to see the kind of airs that uh, Dion was doing, which yeah. was amazing, and the cinematography was amazing. And I wanted to see if it was attainable to anybody. And so I just instantly went to the internet. Thank goodness, you know, we have that resource. And uh, I looked for the website of the wave pool. I looked for the contact number. I Skyped over there. I got a hold of a guy, Riley Heffernan, who, who's an Australian. Or I think he's from New Zealand. I'm not really sure. But um, he's like, yeah, you can book time. So then I went to a couple of my sponsors. And I go, hey, I'm going to go to this wave pool that everyone's been talking about from Dion's video. Within two weeks after the video was aired. And um, I go, 
it would be cool to do it while it's fresh. Mm-hmm. And um, also, no one from the United States has gone. And so I, I went and I did it, and it was it was amazing. And it really helped improve uh, my aerial uh, technique, hmm. um, which is something I, I definitely think I needed improvement on. And, um, yeah, it was amazing how much you can learn and how quickly you can learn in such a short time span. Because it's like a machine, yeah. a machine-like wave. You just tr- practice the same thing. Yeah, over yeah. it's repetition, muscle memory, confidence. Uh, you get in the zone. I mean, there's 36 uh, waves in one hour, uh, which is ridiculous. Usually you catch 36 waves in four hours. And you're out there by yourself? You're out there by yourself, and it's uh, the cost is ridiculous. At that time, I think the cost was $160 US for an hour. Now, I think at uh, Walt Disney World, that would cost you uh, in the thousands. Yeah, for sure. And that wave isn't as good. So it was, and I flew standby again to that location on this airline pass I have. So the, the, the trip was a fraction of the cost. And um, I think the whole trip paid for itself with, uh, with all the coverage I got and all the um, uh, payment I got from my sponsors at the time uh, from photo incentives and whatnot. That's insane. So um, I don't know if... I'm just like for listeners who don't mm-hmm. fully understand the um, inner workings of professional surfing, they understand it on Kelly Slater's level yes. or those guys' levels. But for a guy like you, mm-hmm. it seems like there's a tremendous amount of expense chasing swell. Mm-hmm. And how do you get the time off work? And mm-hmm. what are some of the logistics involved in making this stuff happen? How do you do it? Well, you need to, first of all, you need to find a job that's flexible okay. that lets you take time off if you want to be a traveling surfer. And that's difficult to do in the United States. Uh, a lot of people are tied to their jobs. So for sure. I, I work for a school district uh, part-time. Uh, it's uh, six hours and 15 minutes. A day? A day. Okay. And it starts in the afternoons, like 3 o'clock. So um, I also get entitled to uh, a lot of uh, vacation days. I've been there for 21 years, coming wow. 22. Wow. Um, I've actually been one of the most employed people that I know. Yeah. I've never been unemployed in my life. Um, a lot of people think I don't work. A lot of people think that I may have a trust fund or they right. think that I um, came into some money or whatnot. But uh, I work, um, believe it or not. Uh, yeah. You just won't see me on evening sessions Monday through right. Friday. Right. So I get 20 paid vacation days, which is more than what the average person gets. Uh, the average person may get 10 or 11. Um, at my job, after being there X amount of years, you get these seniority days. So I get 20 paid vacation days, paid holidays, paid sick days, and that's and I do strike missions, meaning I don't go to Indo for a month like the average person. Right. I don't go for two-week trips. Mine are uh, short trips, four days at the location, sometimes only three. And I have to time it and make sure that those are the days the swell's there. And um, for the wave pool, you only really need two days. Sure. Eight hours of surfing, you've caught your, you know, hundreds of waves. You've it's got a lot of travel, though, for two days of surfing. Correct, but I can handle it. You okay. have to be in, sh- in shape and all that and, and, and ready to handle jet lag. And I, I'm a very hyper guy, active guy. <laughs> so I, I, to, to me, it's, I like it. I like the rush of traveling. Um, there's another detail which mm. you've referred to, which is the standby pass. Correct. Because if you're going to fly last minute to Dubai for Joe Schmo, yeah. probably not going to be cheap. Okay, yeah. As a matter of fact, doing strike missions is more expensive than planning your trip a month or two in advance. Sure. Which is what most people do, and then they get skunked or they only get one swell. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been fortunate. Everything is just timing and resources. Through my network of friends, um, I know a girl, a uh, close friend of mine that works at the airlines, and I'm on the companion list. And I cannot name the airline, and of I course, cannot name yeah. any of that other. But that I'll leave it at that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So that's something that exists, though, among airlines is a yeah. companion list. Yes. So if you, 
all of us probably have friends who work in that industry. You Correct. just kind of got to nurture that relationship, basically. Yes, yeah. If you're a close friend with one, uh, you're allowed one friend on oh, the companion list. One only friend only. Only gotcha. one. And there has to be a lot of trust involved because, you know, she's trusting that you're not going to say anything rude to any uh, attendants when you don't make a flight and you're stuck somewhere halfway around the world. Um, and, you know, if, or you don't get completely hammered on your flight and, and be rude to a flight attendant. Um, because basically what you do and say can be uh, detrimental to her job. So Of course. Um, we have this trust thing, and, it, and it's been three years now, and everything's going good. Yeah, that's awesome. I hope you take her out to dinner at least once a year or something. Do something <laughs> nice for her. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. i got to buy her a car. Are you kidding me? <laughs> totally. Uh, I think it's like the ultimate sponsor. I mean, it, the value of it is in the 100,000-plus range totally. uh, of strike missions that I've done. That's insane. Yeah, and you even get to fly business class. Uh, oh my god! Like forty uh, percent of the time, um, you know, if the seats are it's open. It's like wherever there's an opening, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got to fly a ten-hour, twelve-hour flights, fifteen-hour flights, uh, business flatbed. It's amazing. That's I, crazy. You're just like unbelievable. Do you have footage from the Desert Point sessions? Um, I have a lot of footage from last year, but not from this year. Okay. Uh, because when I go on these trips, I don't go with the photographer because he doesn't have the pass I do. Sure. I can't afford to pay for him. So right. you just kind of bank on people being there and you approach him and I usually carry a flash drive with me and uh, I I just go on a whim and go, hey, do you have any footage of me? So, right. you know, I, I can't expect my best waves to be captured every right. time. So right. I'm just lucky I got as much uh, still photos as I did. Right. All right, cool. Well, we'll post some of those photos if you oh. want to provide yeah, yeah. them. Okay. We'll post them on surfsplendorpodcast.com and I'll okay. find footage of you so people can check you out. You know? Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Um, so we'll get into the show. Obviously, I sent you a couple of topics to discuss. Yes. Um, the first of which was an email that I received from listener Thomas Pope. And I'm just going to read uh, some of the highlights of the email. Basically, Thomas said, I've been, surfing two I've been surfing for about two years and recently had my first negative exchange with a more experienced surfer in the water. After this, and watching a few YouTube videos of brutal beatings of surfers on the beach, it made me think of why violence in this sport is so contradicting. Co contradicting. After watching the Nathan Fletcher bodyboard incident at Pipeline, it's clear to see that he possibly didn't see Nathan Fletcher until it was too late. Does this really deserve a relentless fury of fists in the water? I try to be as respectful as I can, and it comes to the point where you almost need to be aggressive to catch a wave. And there will be more than likely some surfers on the other end that are not happy about it. We all have a love of the sport, and we took time out of our day to catch a few, so let's be respectful and friendly and have a good surf together. Thanks for reading. TJ. End quote. Um, I replied to that email from Thomas and kind of just said like I watched that Nathan Fletcher video too and I'll post that video on our website surfsplendorpodcast.com but basically Nathan takes off behind the peak at pipe you mm -hmm. know in the right position to take off at pipe to get mm -hmm. shacked on the peak and there's a bodyboarder taking off on the shoulder who never looks back at the peak and so Thomas's point is correct the bodyboarder probably didn't see nathan but also the bodyboarder didn't look you know like yeah. you can't take off on the shoulder pipe and not look back correct and if you do i mean that's people die at that wave yes and so is it worth getting beat up or does he deserve to get beat up i don't know is it justified it could be argued that it's justified the situation tj was in probably wasn't um life-threatening and so probably unjust if he got you know beat up or yelled at or whatever but my question to you is just, 
is violence ever warranted in surfing? You know, can you imagine a scenario where violence is warranted? Because it's something we as surfers deal with pretty regularly, you know? No, um, this is a difficult topic um, because I, you know, I'm not like a, a physically violent person. I have gotten to verbal altercations. Um, and when uh, you're surfing a wave like that, uh, or anyway, even at Trussellless, you guys, uh, beginners paddle out. They, totally. They, they paddle out with a lot of confidence and uh, beyond their ability. And um, they don't understand kind of the, the etiquette in surfing. Right. And uh, do I think that somebody should get beat to a pulp uh, over it? I, I don't I don't know. I can't answer it. But, but um, you know, the thing is, I, I heard Tamayo Perry got like his head scalped years back right. from a guy bailing his board. And I look at that, I'm like, I'd want to beat the hell out of the guy who bailed his board in front of me like that. Right. I mean, that's like a scar for life. And not only that, but that that's crazy. Like the pain and the suffering yeah. and the medical bills. And, yeah. Um, Amayan Goodwin broke his leg when Cody Graham dropped in on him. Yeah, back a year or two before that, I think. So, uh, I don't promote physical violence at all, but it's I couldn't imagine if someone did that to me right. and, and and put my life at stake over their selfishness or ignorance. Uh, I, I can't answer what I would do, but I definitely think to people that don't normally surf um, these kind of waves and just show up for the first time or even the fifth or tenth time, they need to know the etiquette of surfing and the dangers involved. I think they need to educate themselves. They go out there with this confidence and ego and end up actually not only hurting themselves but others in the process. I had a guy at Lowers on Sunday when the swell increased, and this is a soft wave. He dropped in, like could barely stand up, and just shot his board out into five people, and I... I yelled at him. I go, are you kidding me? He came up smiling, ruining his board. Were I go, you one of the five No, people? I saw from like maybe a 20-foot distance. I go, are you kidding me? I told him, I go, I go, why are you even smiling? Do you realize you could have speared any of these four people? These people like literally had a bail or boards. And um, he just goes, sorry, bro, with a big smile. I, was, I go, why are you even smiling? I, I, he, didn't, he didn't even understand. Yeah. He was more smiling at himself like, oh, I, I fell. But he doesn't understand he can he could spear other people. Right. And, and and these kind of people will say, Well, I didn't do anything, nothing happened. And do they have to wait till a guy has a hole in his head? Right. Until he realizes what he what he's doing. He's not he's not equipped for that wave or he needs to get more practice before he even comes to learn how to surf a, a populated uh, yeah. wave. I think what you're right what you're saying is absolutely right. And I've realized it but never really thought about it um, consciously, which is it might just be today's kind of narcissistic culture that we're living in, but beginning surfers don't go through the steps of learning etiquette like no. they did when I was coming That's up. That's correct. When I was coming up, surfing in Huntington, I didn't even go surf the pier yeah, until yeah. I understood what was really going on because I just knew there was a hierarchy that I don't quite fit into yet. And so I had the respect to learn the ropes. And learning the etiquette of surfing is a multi-year process. You mm -hmm. know, it's like... So I think what you're saying is right, is like kids learn to surf, they're like, I'll paddle out into the peak at Lowers and catch a set wave, or I'll paddle out at the pier in Huntington and catch a set wave. They're, they feel entitlement. They do. And then what the problem is, is that's fine and dandy, but if you create a, a situation or if you get in somebody's way and somebody yells at you, you need to put your tail between your legs and get at the back of the line. What kids do nowadays is start talking back. They or like, do. Or that guy, like smiling about it and like writing it off. And it's yeah. like, no, 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 no. 
you were wrong. This is where you need to get in the back of the line. But they don't do that anymore. No, they all say that. I love this comment. They all say, we're all just out here having fun. And I say to them, I go, you're having fun on other people's expense. Exactly. Is what you're doing. Yeah. And I don't mean, this isn't directed towards Thomas's email, no. I guess. Like, I don't want to make him no, feel no, like no, he's no. the I'm guy. just thinking of all the scenarios yeah, where, totally. where there's somebody that, that feels entitlement, paddles straight up to the top of the peak, and doesn't put their time in at the spot, and just says, hey, man, it's a free country. It's a free ocean. Yeah. And just uh, his ability's not there, and they take off on the peak, drop in on people, or don't look, and they they could really injure people, or and I don't know. Just... I'd, I'd like to see a little bit more of that respect and etiquette um, cultivated in today's youth, you know? And so, I don't know, maybe we live in Southern California, and so our experience might be different than a listener who's in New Zealand, surfing yeah. kind of wide open beaches. They might have nothing but politeness, you know? Um, I was going to tell you a story Southside uh, Huntington last year, kind of around this time of year, U.S. Open, you start seeing all sorts of people and behavior in the water that you never see throughout the rest of the year. Yes. It was pretty crowded, and it was right next to the pilings, like big south swell, kind of paddle out next to the pilings, and the waves are pushing. So it's kind of a treacherous situation, you know? And uh, there was a lot of people in the water, and a set was coming, and there was a kid in front of me. Uh, as this wave was approaching. So we both went to duck dive. He was four feet in front of me, I'd say. We both duck dive this wave. I come up and he's gone. And I look behind me and he's behind me. He's now five feet behind me. Right. So he ducked over in front of me, got swept over my back. Oh my God. And ended yeah. up behind me. So I, I kind of knew he was right there and I could tell that he wasn't really like the best surfer. So I, my intention was I'm going to duck dive under this guy instead of duck dive under this wave. I knew I was going to have to duck extra deep, basically. Oh, my gosh. And sure enough, he got sucked over behind me and ended up three feet or four feet behind me. So when I came up from the duck dive, I was like, what the heck? And I looked back, and he was behind me. And I was like, I, I said to him, I'm like, dude, are you kidding? I'm like, you better learn how to duck dive before you paddle out at the pier. And he goes, what? F you. Don't tell me what to do. Oh, my God. And I think he even tried to call me into the beach. Like, he's like, what, you want to you handle this on the beach? And I just, like, laughed about it. I'm like, what? No. I, I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm just I've saying. I've seen these guys. Yeah, I've seen these guys do this. They, they uh, You try to give them any kind of uh, constructive criticism. Yes. And uh, they lash out at you. They, their ego gets a, a dent in it. So they I'm not saying I'm a... I'm ripping or like you're no, you're an amateur. Yeah, I'm yeah. just saying learn how to duck dive. And this isn't based on my guess. This is based on what just happened. Like insane, right. you know? Right. So um so here's my other question about violence in surfing is if it is violence one answer for is violence warranted would be if it worked. Like if I punch that kid in the face and then he never did that again to somebody else or he acquiesced when somebody kind of uh, mm -hmm. gave him a critique, then I would argue like maybe there's validation to this. And where we see it work oftentimes is in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like guys who step out of line in Hawaii. I remember a story about Chris Ward paddling out a back door and just start burning people when he was like 18 years old, mm -hmm. just taking off on everybody. Eventually, one of the guys goes, go into the beach. He went into the beach, got punched in the face, and they go, stop burning people. Don't ever do that again. He goes, all right, sorry. Paddled back out to the peak and sat in line and waited for the next wave. That's you know? crazy. Yeah, but it's like, okay, violence worked in that scenario. Yeah, so I mean... <laughs> is, it, is it different in Hawaii, and is it justified in mm -hmm. Hawaii, you know? Uh, in, in Hawaii, I don't... I, 
I can't answer that question. Um, I, I, like I said, I, I, I don't condone physical yeah. violence, yeah, yeah. but, um, you know, I, I even have some friends that, uh, they get punched in the face for doing something wrong and they don't learn. They're right, back exactly. at it a year later doing it again. You and know, they, that, may be, they may become even more yeah, aggressive after right. that. Right. It's like they need a, a lobotomy or something, yeah, you know, totally. they, need, like, they, they need some kind of brain work done, but... I don't know if that works. I mean, it might instill fear into some people and make them not want to even paddle out at the spot. Yeah, but um, which is the goal a lot of the time. Yeah, with that localism. Is, yeah, you know? no, I get that. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what anyone would be thinking dropping in on everybody anyway. Backdoor yeah. at that at that point in time, the person needs to figure out more about themselves. Wardo, dude. I mean, yeah, I don't what know. I don't know. Gonna say about that. I, you know? I have nothing to say. Exactly. But um. Uh, I don't know. And then the thing about localism that I was thinking is some of the people that do the punching at their local break carry that vibe out of their state, out of their country to another break. Right. And I'm like, wait a second. We're not in your backyard anymore. Why are you treating my backyard like it's your backyard? It's happened to me a few times and I'm, I had to say something. I go, this isn't your backyard anymore and you're surfing it like it is. Right. And so... You know, as much as uh, taking justice in your own hands sounds great, the problem is some of these people doing this kind of justice carry that mentality into other breaks. They might right. carry it to the mentalities. They might carry it to lowers. They might carry it to any other break on the East Coast. And you're like, wait, this isn't even your break. So at the end of the day, they, they, they see that it works. And they're like, well, I'm just going to carry this vibe with me right. everywhere and feel in my entitlement to every spot. So I, I don't know. The, I think Thomas Pope, his email is right, though. It's like, it's so contradictory to the reason why we're all surfing in the first place. You know, like, if yeah. you're living with that vibe of just aggression, you're not really enjoying this, the act of surfing anyways. Mm -hmm. In order to enjoy surfing and perform at your best, you need to just be able to, you know, release. Release yeah. that tension. Yeah. So, um, moving on okay. to a much more enjoyable subject. Okay. Coco Ho Nude. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen that all <laughs> over, like, social media. <laughs> How amazing is this, dude? Um, well, uh, you know, it's it's they did it, what, a couple years ago or last year with uh, with Slater. They had, yeah. like, nude athletes. So they're yeah. just doing another thing with nude athletes. and yeah. um, It's ESPN's body issue. That's it. They that's feature, it feature nude athletes. Yeah, so, I mean, get, uh, the, the whole idea behind that is to show, like, the physique mm -hmm. of an athlete, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, yeah, I mean she's she's in shape and uh, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, so there was a uh, you know it was it was a good thing and um, it was done in a tasteful way. Yeah, and I don't think it was uh, done to you know make women look degrading no. or anything. Yeah, no, I I'm all for it. Dude. Yeah, I read the comments and people are some people are jealous and and some you know some people are saying that she's. Uh, exploiting herself, but no, it's done in a tasteful way. I, I don't, I don't see it. Either. I don't understand that argument at all. Like, I fully sympathize with the limit women's lib movement mm -hmm. aspects of it, you know, mm -hmm. and I get it, and I'm all for like equal pay for equal work or whatever. But this isn't an exploitation at all. It's a no. celebration of beauty, you know. And yeah. it's like Steph Gilmore did it before, and um, yeah, it's just Coco's beautiful and she's charming and she's like, we love everything about her and who doesn't love the female form, you know? Yeah. And she rips. Yeah, like, I mean, they got they got statues of people uh, nude in um, huge museums and this is this is just what it is, only uh, live. Totally. You know? um, we don't need to kind of 
belabor this this topic because there's not really too much to say about it other mm -hmm. than she's surfing nude. Yeah. Have you ever surfed nude before? I, I think I, uh, yeah, yeah, I did. Okay, um, what's the story? I just, as the Mentawai Islands, I think it was like six or seven days into one of the boat trips, and I just, the, I don't know, I was getting jaded, I was losing my mind, so we went and, uh, uh, we went and surfed this beach break, which is rare, and uh, there was nobody around, so I just, uh, I think I was, I don't know, I had a couple of beers or something. With other dudes or by No, they, they, they were, I don't know what they were doing, they were like walking down the beach somewhere, I decided to surf nude uh, solo. Is it liberating? Is there anything special about it, or is it what? I don't know. It's just uh, it's kind of weird because you you feel the water all over your body when you're paddling. Yeah. You know, there's you don't feel any like material from a wetsuit or trunks. Um, but I I don't think it's very comfortable. Right. <laughs> personal personally, um, I don't think it's all that comfortable with wax and all that. And uh, totally, dude. You know, so uh, I don't think it's like oh man, I was surfing so much better. No. Yeah. Um, it's just something to do just to say you did it. The other day, I was surfing. The water's pretty warm in Southern California, and I was considering trunking it. And I was like, oh, I'll just put on my spring suit. And I ended mm -hmm. up, I surfed in the spring suit, but I had a wipeout where I, my board just flipped over, and I landed right on my butt on my fins. Oh, man. Yeah, and kind of got up and shook it off and surfed. And then I got home, and I was getting in the shower. And my wife's like, what happened to your butt cheek? <laughs> I have a full-on slice on my butt cheek with a giant bruise surrounding it and that's with my wetsuit on yeah and i was like holy crap i was considering surfing in trunks if that if i didn't have that thin layer of rubber dude this would be a gash right no now. i agree with you yeah of course the safety issues yeah <laughs> totally it's completely like uh it's higher when you're surfing nude but uh yeah wetsuits protect you booties protect you yeah. uh and yeah no I, don't, I mean i don't recommend that as a as as an alternative to i don't know surfing better or anything it's just no. something you just say you did it's a bucket list thing novelty yeah exactly so mason ho has been known for surfing nude and i've seen videos of him surfing nude um mm -hmm. that he's posted on his website and then i went back like i told somebody about it went back to find it later and they must have deleted it or something oh. but he does tell a story about a time that he surfed nude in a contest the videos really? that i had seen previously were just him surfing like west side oahu but we're gonna watch this video right now. Okay. Mason Ho telling his own story. This is the story right here of how I surfed in Australia in this contest butt naked. I was watching the contest in the morning, and they're like, oh, all these guys are in it. They're having an expression session. There's no like people from Hawaii in it. And I'm like trying to get into this thing. I'm like asking the director guy, like, hey, we need to get in. And he's like, oh no, it's too late. I can't do anything. I was like, ah, whatever. Getting in my car. And then I hear him announcing, like, oh, Mason and Granger, whatever, come grab your jerseys, hurry up and go out for your thing. And I was already in the car, and the coke was like, go, Mason, go, go. And I was like, nah, I'm like, I'm over it. Screw them. Like, I, and I didn't even have my surfboard. I had, like, a pair, of, I had a pair of my shorts and, like, our walking shorts. And then Coke was like, please, just go out for me. I just want to see you surf out there. And I was like, okay. I was like, I'll go out for you. I'm like, you got a surfboard? I grab their surfboard and I jump in the water. As soon as I jump in the water, my shorts like fill up with water. Like, my sister's board's like tiny, so I'm like, I'm, like going underwater, like paddling. Oh fuck! I'm gonna screw these shorts. So I rip my shorts off and I put them on top of my head. So I was butt naked and then I just start paddling out. All yeah, I can make it like this because the pockets weren't filling up when it was around my neck. Yeah, I ended up surfing like the whole heat is naked. But the funniest part was I'd be like, there'd be someone going for the wave, kept just showing people, like, cutting, like, going right in front of people, and they're like, oh! 
and they're all looking at me. They're like, how does this kid get away with this every time? That is why they call me Naked Mace. Naked Mace. <laughs> That's pretty classic. Now we got Naked Coco too, the Ho family, dude. All That's about nude surfing. No, that's pretty nuts. So, uh, yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think they were pretty, but... No, no, I'm just, I, I, I'm just saying that to do that in the heat, that's... I know, and he's doing airs, too. Yeah. You don't get fined for that stuff? I don't know. It's a good they question. Find, they like to make any kind of money they can for it in the ASP. Find this, find that, so... I that's true. Um, ASP talk. Did okay. you watch any of the J-Bay event last night? No, I didn't. Okay. I didn't. Um, Jordy got a 10 in wow. his heat. Yeah, like... He got a 9.8 and a 10, I think. So he got 19.8 total. Wow. Jordy's ripping, dude. Like, I watched the highlight reel of him the night just before I went to bed, uh, surfing J.B., free surfing. That O'Neill video that yeah, they just put exactly. out. I watched that, too. How insane does he surf, dude? No, amazing. Um, yeah. So, I, obviously, you have the usual suspects that will do well in J.B., yeah. I think. And, Which um, are? Uh, gosh, uh, Parco, Slater, um, Fanning, Jordy, um, I think those are the guys that have that that smooth carving flow. Yeah. Because Jeffrey's Bay, I think, shows uh, your strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. And um, it really shows a surfer style as well, how they yeah. link in and out of the turns. So if the winds are offshore, um, yeah. uh, those kind of guys will do really well. Uh, well, and I should say day one is what we're at right now. Last okay. night, day one ran. So uh, while we're recording this, and um, they ran. Round one, and then I think four heats of round two. Okay. So Slater won his heat. Michelle Perez won his heat. Parco actually got second, okay. but then won his second round heat. There you go. So he's through. Mick won his heat. Jordy won go. his heat. Everybody you just said yeah. did exactly what And I didn't said. even watch the contest. Yeah, exactly. I, I just know by their styles of surfing. Uh, Bell's Beach and Jeffrey's Bay is, is a type of wave that, um, that really shows... Uh, what your your strength and your weakness mm -hmm. and, and your flow and, and, and because those waves have a huge open canvas and um, they're typically offshore. Now I have noticed when the winds shift, uh, people are doing airs at bells now. Right. So which is unheard of uh, ten years ago. Right. And big scores are being given. So with that said, if the winds are different at J Bay, this gives the opportunity to the other surfers whose strengths may be uh, technical surfing. Yeah. And um, that will you know. That'll help them out. But uh, a guy like uh, Kelly and, and Jordy, who are good at both, uh, they're, they're going to be definitely um, the top two guys, I think. Good at airs and, and good at power surfing. I, I'm going to reserve, um, I don't know, judgment or expectation on the air game, at, even during the windy sessions, for one reason alone. And that is, when we've seen it done at Bells in recent years, it's one maneuver wave basically it's yeah. done and then it's like kelly's you know it's done into the flats and that's it right john john's it was kind of the same thing at j bay i think if you try to do that one air the wave's gonna run down the line like there's not really an end section to do it on and you'll end up missing a lot of opportunity down the line and I don't know that judges will look at that as a good thing. Like, you can do a massive no, error right, on one right. section, but are you going to give up another 100 yards of wave? It has to be like a, a functional error. Right. Where you're like, it's kind of like doing a floater, only right. you're doing the air instead to clear the section. And it has to be on a really windy, bad winds. But we've never really seen that done in competition. Mm, like, no. we've seen big airs, and we've seen those big airs at Bells on a 
the one maneuver, but I don't think we've ever seen massive functional airs. Maybe John John's alley oop at Bali was one that I could think yeah. of. I seen Slater do an alley oop at J Bay in 03, but it wasn't that big of a one. It was at the end and it was really mushy and windy. I yeah. remember. Um, and was... Gabriel did a couple rotators last night. Uh, but again, they weren't massive, you know, it's yeah. kind of like he did, them, yeah. but it wasn't like a huge. So with that said, then I guess a lot of the, uh, rail to rail flow power surfing, the people that link their turns in and out, you know, the closest you can surf to Tom Kern. Exactly. That's going to do it. Yeah. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Have you surfed J-Bay? No, I have not. Okay. not. Yeah, I'm curious. It's on the bucket list. And you're Goofy Footer, so do you have any thoughts on the Goofy Footers? Yeah, I was thinking that about that last night. There's, I don't think a Goofy Footer's ever won J-Bay. Aki. Aki, yes, but not when it's not been... Not since then. Yeah, not it's been since... I think it was a country feeling contest. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know if he's won... I know he's won Bells a bunch. I don't know if he's won J-Bay. Did he win J-Bay when he was world, won his world title in 99? He won J-Bay. I don't remember the year. Okay. And So it was in the 90s. I assume it was a CT event. Okay. But I don't know for sure. Yeah, I can't remember. But yeah, so with that said, it's been 15 years since yeah, yeah, the Goofy yeah. Footers won J-Bay, which would be nice to see because I like the way uh, Matt Wilkinson, Owen Wright, um, and the Hobgoods, uh, the way they throw their fins out the back and mm -hmm. blow the tail. That would be cool to see, like, you know, they put the hand on the deck, throw the fins out the back, see that kind of surfing at technical, like, um, surfing at J-Bay and then get backside barrels. Uh, I would really love to see a Goofy Footer win it, but... Uh, if you had one Goofy Footer to pick to win, who would you pick? Well, after watching Timmy Reyes and Matt Wilkinson, I like the way Matt Wilkinson does his backside uh, off the tops. Okay. Uh, and, and I know Owen Wright does them just as well. Um, but he's just got back on tour after being gone, so... Um, I'll pick Owen, you pick... Whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just the same thing. Owen... I love Owen. Yeah, they're, they're, they're both... It's, it's, to me, it's like picking the same guy. Yeah, <laughs> Almost. Yeah. Uh, Freddie P, I don't... I think he lost his heat, but 
or got second or whatever, but he was ripping. He surfed incredibly well. Oh, yeah, no, he, he's, a, he's definitely another really good, powerful goofy foot yeah. that could do well at J-Bay. He knows how to go rail to rail, top to bottom, like fluid, smooth, power surfer, Yeah, um, for sure. Okay, give me your one pick to win the event. It doesn't have to be goofy footer, and give me your dark horse contender. Oh, well, <laughs> well obviously Slater to win. Sorry. Over Jordy, you think? Uh, or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Slater's won it more. Um, and, uh, yeah, he knows. I think he's put more hours in uh, J-Bay maybe than Jordy as far yeah. as wave count. I Surfing so. it for that many years. Yeah. 20-plus years. Yeah. Um, dark Horse. I don't know. Dark, I mean, the Dark Horse guys are the guys that are the air guys. Okay. okay? In my opinion, because you wouldn't be betting on them. Um, so I don't, I don't really have a Dark Horse. I mean, do you... Is Julian Wilson a dark horse? I don't think he's a dark horse. Not really. No, he's not. Yeah. So, uh, I don't really have... Felipe Toledo? Uh, yeah, no. No? No. no. I, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> you don't I, like Felipe? <laughs> no, I love the way he surfs. Oh, okay. I saw him do the hugest air rotation. I'm just saying, would I put my money on him winning J-Bay? No. As a dark horse? I mean... No. No. Um, okay. <laughs> Straight uh, up. I don't know. I don't know who I would pick. I don't know. I'd have to see the list. I don't have a list in front I'm, of me. I'm going Jordy for win. Jordy mm -hmm. for the win. I love Slater. I would prefer Slater, but mm -hmm. I just feel like Jordy looks unstoppable. Okay. And then my dark dark horse. I'm going to say Adam Melling. Okay. Adam. See, I need to see the list. Yeah. Okay. I can't. I, I don't. Just I don't have the list of all the. Adam Melling made the final with Jordy. Uh, at J Bay, I think it was 2010, mm -hmm. and his style suits the wave. He surfs a lot like Nick Fanning, obviously, mm -hmm. and I just think that he's a guy who just kind of never really makes it past round three. But if he is ever going to, J Bay's his spot, you know. And uh, so I'd like to see that actually. Okay, is Mitch Colburn on the CT? No. Okay, I would pick him. Yeah, right. I would too. That'd be a good pick. You know, because he's a power surfer. He, he, he should be on next pairs. year actually. Yeah. Based on his. Record. I know that he was coming in, and a few of them. I don't know if it was like an alternate deal. Right. Okay. So, um, so that kind of leads us into Bolito. You were talking about Timmy Reyes and yes. Wilco. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you're friends. We're friends with mm -hmm. Timmy. You've been on, have you been on trips with Timmy? No. No. Okay. But you've surfed with Timmy a lot around yeah, here. Yeah, I remember when he was a mini Grom. Yeah. So um, he just jumped from I think it was 126th spot on the qualifying series to the fifth spot on the qualifying series because he won the event in Bolito, which puts him in contention to come to uh, qualify for the 2015 WCT. And we're already halfway through. What are your thoughts on Timmy qualifying? Amazing. Um, really? Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, it's it's really like a, a dream because, um, you know, in, in professional surfing, when you're in your 30s and you're not on the CT, it's hard to make money. Oh, yeah. And, and he's lost vans. He's lost yeah, a couple sponsors. You lose sponsors. Uh, and um, it's hard to keep keep interesting, keep fresh, and he's been doing a good job at it, surfing all these uh, exotic cold water spots, but uh, essentially if he gets back on the CT, he'll get a pay raise, everything will be huge, and uh, or not the CT, the World Tour, excuse me. Um, so uh, I think that's huge, and uh, it's inspirational to others, mm -hmm. um, because most people probably wouldn't try right. uh, that much later, and um, to win that event when most of the guys in the top 36 were doing it yeah. is huge. Totally. Huge. Uh, to get, a, I think that's his biggest win, and he did it in his 30s. Crazy. Um, so, um, do you think that Timmy Reyes' surfing is on par with the guys on the CT right now? Well, you know what? I will say this. He has the power surfing. He has the flow, and he has the charging. And a lot of guys may be good technical surfings in, 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 in junk Huntington, 
Um, but when it comes to those big waves, like Timmy gets high scores, nines and tens at backdoor. Right. You know, and he, he gets, made the semis at pipe with Slater that Yeah, and, and, and you put him at Tabarua, you put him all these waves, he'll get big scores, um, which is important, you know, because those are world-class waves. You want to surf good in world-class waves. Totally. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Luke Egan said this. He's like, I'm glad I'm known as the guy who surfs really good in good waves. Yeah. I would rather be known as the guy who surfs good in good waves than the guy who surfs good in shit waves. Totally. I mean, I mean, actually, it would be nice to surf good in both. But of course. if you were to pick one from the other, it would suck to surf like crap at G-Land and then surf epic at One Foot Virginia Beach. Well, I've, I've struggled with that because I've surfed Huntington my whole life. I'll go on these surf trips and the waves are six to eight feet and pumping. And I'm visualizing myself surfing well out there, but it's such a learning curve and it's so much faster and everything that I will flounder, you know, and I've struggled with that. I flounder a few sessions and then I just beat myself up and my confidence gets shot and I'm like, dude, I want to go out and get shacked and I can't do it. I think I should be able to do it, but I can't. And then you have to kind of rebuild and I've been able to, you know, get over that sometimes, but... Yeah, you're absolutely right. If you pull up to eight-foot cloud break, you want to get out there and get shacked. It's totally different. I'm sure the women got a taste of that on oh, the tour. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they went to eight-foot cloud break, and they're like, wow. you know. And you got to see the weaknesses and the strengths in some female surfers from the others. And these are world-class waves, and it would suck to not be able to surf good in world-class waves. Right. Um, so back to Timmy, uh, I think that... I remember seeing him do a lot of aerials, and when he was on the QS before he qualified, I think in 2004, 2005, seeing some big airs from Timmy. So I know he can do the airs. Um, if he could bring that into his heats, uh, he'll be fine. I mean, yeah. he has the capability of doing all the airs. Right. Um, if he does more of that in his heats, then he can beat these guys like Philippe Toledo on a one-maneuver wave. Right. So uh, the only thing I would say is just, um, just bring his air game into his heats. And I know it's difficult because how many guys do you know of tore all three ligaments in their knee right. like Timmy did and I think he did that at Steamer Lane in 2005 or something and that, that pretty much sidelined most of his uh, world tour career Right. Um, and he was number like top 7 or top 10 in the world at the time yeah. so uh, to get over and it's hard hard thing to get over when you tear all three ligaments and right. you're out of the water 9 months to come back, oh yeah, I'm gonna do an air on the flats Right. you know mentally to even like want to do yeah. that because that could end not only your career, but surfing, high-performance surfing. Totally. You know? Um, so, anyways, yeah, just uh, I know he has the capability of doing all those airs and uh, just bring that into the heats. And uh, Okay, so my, my pros and cons with Timmy. I agree with everything that you said. Mm-hmm. I, love, I also love the Timmy story. You mm-hmm. know, him qualifying late in his, in his career, or re-qualifying. I also like the approach that he's taken as a pro surfer which is he is a free surfer and he's nomadic. He's always on the road, but he's picking cold water destinations. Like mm-hmm. he's doing trips to Canada and Oregon and like all this stuff that most people don't go go yeah. to. So he, he's like when Timmy Turner was doing the Indonesia thing and going feral for six months, but it was warm water, reef break that everybody would imagine wanting to go. Timmy, Timmy Reyes, on the other mm-hmm. hand, is choosing the cold path that really nobody wants to go to. And so I love that angle, and I think it's marketable for a sponsor, which is O'Neill, because they sell Yeah, the more rubber he's wearing while while ripping, the the more marketable. So that's been his career path, and I think that's smart, but I think it's also where his passion is. I don't think it was, um, you know, mapped out that way. He just, that's what he does. But downside of Timmy, he's not the most exciting surfer to watch for me. Uh, It's a personal assessment Mm -hmm. of Timmy's surfing. 
and it's not really a criticism. Uh, it's just how I view it. It's like when he takes off on a wave, you know, I'm, I kind of, I'm able to anticipate what he's going to do. And therefore when he finishes the ride, it's like, yeah, he surfed that wave really well, but it didn't really raise my adrenaline, adrenaline level. Mm -hmm. John, John, on the other hand, I never know what the guy's going to do. And when he kicks out, I may be hugely disappointed, but I also may be a spike in adrenaline. And so that's my one caveat with Timmy where it's like, I don't know how he can add that to his surfing, but I would worry that that'll translate to a lot of sixes on the judges' scorecards. Okay, so your predictable surfing versus unpredictable. There's very few unpredictable surfers. Uh, those are, you know what I mean, like the Julian Wilsons and uh, John John Florence, uh, Slater. Uh, there's a lot of guys on tour where you kind of have an idea, or Jordy Smith, whatever. There's guys on tour that you, that that or you know how they're kind of going to surf it, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, it's it's a very unique quality to have to be un unpredictable. Those guys that you're talking about, though, they fill out the 12th ranking to mm -hmm. the 32nd ranking. So does Timmy want to join and then just fill out that bottom twenty? I don't. I, I don't. I you mean, know, like there's. Ins I think that everybody has the ability to, to do whatever they want. It's the mindset to change. So, right. uh, I, I would say if he's gonna make the tour, he just has to uh, think about you know. Yeah. Becoming more um, maybe uh, unpredictable. Right. Uh, as you said, and. Um, you know, it means taking more risks. Yeah. Uh, you got guys like Dane that are so damn unpredictable. You know, That's he'll the get best a, example. Yeah, he'll get a he'll get a ten in one heat and then a two in another. Um, but uh, it's it's uh, it's it's a difficult characteristic to have it, to it, take those kind of risks and and be able to advance. You know. Yeah, I remember uh, somebody talking about Andy Irons that it was like offbeat jazz. It's mm -hmm. like. You see him approaching the lip, and you think he's gonna bang, but then he booms, you know, or he zigs when you think he's gonna zag. And it's yeah, like, it's like a guy bottom turning. You think he's gonna hit a vert, then he does a carving three sixty. Exactly. And you're like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. And then you think he's gonna do air reverse, but then he does something totally weird, yeah. like you don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the surfing that I love best. But again, I, I mean, Timmy, I can't criticize the guy. I love him, and I love his story. Mm -hmm. But it's like that's the one thing that I think is the difference between being in that top ten or twelve on tour versus the bottom. Okay. Well, either way, hey, predictable, unpredictable. If I'm making the world tour, yeah, no, I'm a yeah. happy guy. Even if it's for one year or three years, dude. And and, and dream, I think dude. that when when he gets there, if he gets there, uh, he'll he'll definitely uh, he knows he's been there before, so he knows what to do differently now. Mm -hmm. And as far and also with with uh, finance and everything, you know, he's older, he probably save his money, and yeah, he got to be smarter. And because there's a lot of money to be made now when you get oh, on yeah. the world tour, That's the money's true. a lot bigger too than when he was there ten years ago. Yeah. So, uh, it's a second um, chance. Another thing we can talk about, because we both have personal exposure mm -hmm. to it, is Sippo. Mm. Sippo, on the brink of um, getting knocked off tour the last couple of years, last year he literally qualified in the very last position, only because Yaden Nickel lost to Mick Fanning in that quarterfinal heat at Pipe. Or, or that was ridiculous. Yeah. So, if Yaden would have made that heat, he would have taken Sippo's spot on tour. Yeah. And so... It's true. Um... Sippo's in the same position this year with a string of last places on the CT, and then he's doing the qualifying events like the Bolito comp, but he lost in round one at Bolito, or in the, the first round, I should say. Um, and now he's at J-Bay. He lost his round one heat at no J-Bay, and then surfed his second round heat against Parco and lost that heat. Oh, my gosh. So he's out on day one in J-Bay. 
So what are your thoughts on Sippo? How do you account for uh, what he's going through? Because, I mean, okay. I think the guy rips. We see him surfing yeah, yeah, yeah. at home all the time, and obviously he's on par with the best surfers in the world. Yes. Why, why is he having such a slump? Wow, well, you just brought up the fact that there was a heat between uh, Yade and Nickel and Mick Fanning. Right. Where everyone, not everyone, but, but I myself thought Yade and Nickel should have made it because he rode the foam ball so deep. Mm-hmm. Is this karma? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, Brett Simpson's one of the best surfers in the world, and he belongs on the CT. I'd say he's one of the top ten. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, is that like some weird act of karma? Because poor Yade and Nickel should be on the CT, if you ask me. Um, right. Because he rolled that foam ball like through the barrel, and <laughs> that was ridiculous. So maybe it's not Brett's fault. No. Um, I don't know. But I will say this, and I was thinking about this. Uh, there is one surfer that has lost first heat throughout the entire year, and I know who that is. It's Andy Irons. Nobody knows this, but in like 1996-97, Andy Irons, I think, lost first heat almost every contest and fell off the tour, only to come back on a couple years later. And become one of the most dominant forces in the I surfing. don't remember that. No, was that I his do. rookie year? Yeah, it was his rookie year. Wow. Yeah, he lost first heat and a lot. Wow. Yeah, and, and, and he had a fight to get back on tour through the QS again. Brutal. Next thing you know, he's one of the most memorable surfers in surfing history. And he's Kelly's biggest rival. Right. He was one of the gnarliest surfers ever. Right. Um, so... That could be Brett Simpson's inspiration. Uh, the year's not over, but what I'm trying to say is if he's bummed about losing this much, just think Andy Irons did that before he became who he is. And if Andy would have given up, yeah, he would have never been Kelly's biggest rival, three-time world champion. I mean, the stuff he did after losing yeah. and falling off tour was huge. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, you these kind of things just are a test to see how strong you are. And, um, you know... You got to text that story to Brett, dude. Well, so when he wakes up in South Africa... Why don't you Africa, put this podcast... Yeah, exactly. Him. No, but it's true because, uh, yeah, Andy Irons, I remember, was his, 90, his first rookie year, 97, I believe, or something. And, uh, yeah, he lost a lot and fell off the tour. Um, what do you think accounts for Brett's, uh, you know, losses the last year or two? What do you, how do you assess that? I can't say. I don't know. Because I remember doing contests and then losing, going, what the hell am I doing wrong? You don't yeah. get the right way. If this happens, that, you're just like... You don't know what the hell's going on. And people are saying he's drawn really difficult seeds because he's such a good surfer. And by losing, you get you know you become the low seed going against the high seed. So he's surfing against guys that, are, that are, he's on the level with. Or, yeah. uh, so uh, that could be one thing. But, I mean, how many times can you get the lower end of no, the stick? You that know? doesn't account for all of it. I think a year ago, he was surfing really poorly. And he looked just uh, like his confidence was shattered and he was falling apart and it was all his fault, basically. Mm. I, I would blame his mental state. Yeah. Um, uh, specifically in Bali against Oni Anwar, you okay. know, the, the heard, wild yeah. card. Yeah. Oni did an air and got a, one good wave, one good score. And then Brett got like three or four opportunities. Oni never backed up his score, but Brett got three or four opportunities to rip waves and he fell and he slipped and he just never capitalized. And it's like there was zero reason why Brett should have lost that heat. But his mental game was so off that he did. And so there was a lot of instances like that where you can only point the finger at Brett. But I feel like in the last six months or so, especially in the qualifying events, he's been surfing pretty well. Like in Cabo, for example, mm. at the six star, he surfed really, really well. And then he'll come up against a tough draw and he'll lose with like a 17 point total. 
So then you go, okay, that wasn't your fault. That can happen to anybody. That happens to Slater and Parco, no big yeah. deal. But when you now add, compile that on top of a two years of poor performances that were his fault, it's kind of like you're just adding... You're, yeah, you've you've done well and you've gotten back on the ladder, but somebody kicked the ladder out from under you now. Yeah. So how do you give somebody the motivation to climb back up after they've kind of overcome some big obstacles and they're doing everything right, but now luck is working against him? Is that weird? Yeah. What the the luck thing? I don't know if that's a karma thing. I don't know what that is. I don't know. Luck is a strange thing because you have people that that gamble, yeah. right? And they get on a winning streak, and you could talk to a gambler and when they get on a losing streak and they keep losing and losing, they have to step away. You can't keep pushing through because you'll right. keep losing and losing. Right. You almost have to step away. And what am I supposed to say? Yeah, step away from the tour. Right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, go There's... free surfing, go on the search. Um, and, and that's the problem for him is even when the you tour... You don't have time to do that kind of stuff. Even when it ends, he can't just stay at home for three months. No. You got sponsor obligations. Yep. The, the qualifying series starts. It's like... Yeah, it's nonstop. Um, so it's, it's hard to just step away and take a breather and yeah. come back. It's not like you have like millions of dollars in the bank where you could do that and then come back. Right. Um, uh, tough situation. It's a very tough situation. Hopefully he can use his um, the birth of his daughter as, as a motivating factor to have to make it happen. Yeah. But that's also stress too. So I, yeah. I don't I don't. I don't know. It's I mean, probably hard to enjoy your newborn kid when you realize you got all this pressure coming in from the back. Oh my gosh. I, I couldn't imagine being a professional surfer with children. Right. That's got to be the most yeah. stressful thing. Yeah. Crazy. The down, I mean, the upside to that is you're making more money now than 10 years ago when oh guys had kids and could barely yeah. afford to travel the around guy, the world. Guy, I mean, Brett won two U.S. Opens. Yeah. And probably won one of the best U.S. Opens in history. Yeah. 2009? Against Mick Fanning in the yeah. final. Yeah. He beat doing Slater. An yeah. He, yeah. Dude, he, he beat Mick Fanning doing, doing an air, and I don't think Mick was doing airs back then. Either, right. So Yeah. Crazy. So, Sippo, keep your head up, dude. Mm. This isn't the worst thing ever. We, we all believe Andy in Andy Irons has lost numerous heats. Yeah, I like that story, dude. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk? We'll, we'll file this one under the sub subject heading of gossip, okay. the gossip column. Yeah, Alan Sarlow, kind of a famed Malibu surfer. Yeah. I don't know if the international community knows him so much, but he's a professional surfer from back in the day from Malibu. Still lives in Malibu. I think he works as like a realtor. Yes. Yeah. So Sarlow, big Malibu surfer, sued. For STD transmission. <laughs> How did you hear about this? Because I was shocked when I read this. Dude, I got my ear to the ground with, with surf news. Are you going to like courtreporter.com yeah, exactly. and like Googling surf? That's pretty nuts. Because, so, uh, this is a full gossip column story, mm -hmm. but I still feel a need to share it because it, it has implication for the pro surf community. Uh, quick details of the story. Mm. Mary Bigler filed a lawsuit Tuesday in Los Angeles Superior Court against Alan Sarlow. Her allegations include battery, negligence, emotional distress, and misrepresentation. She seeks at least $5 million. According to the lawsuit, Sarlo was married with two children when he and Bigler began a relationship. Before the relationship became sexual in nature, Bigler asked Sarlo if he had any sexually transmitted diseases. After engaging in sexual intercourse with Sarlo, Bigler tested positive for an STD, including herpes. It was, quote, 
It was later learned by Miss Bigler that during the course of her relationship with Mr. Sarlow, that he was engaged in sexual relations with other women, including a young girl he met at a surf shop, to whom he also transmitted herpes, end quote. After Bigler told Sarlow he gave her herpes, he agreed and or acknowledged that he had done this, the, stutes, the suit states. Sarlow told the plaintiff last summer that the girl he, had, he allegedly infected with the STD sent an email to his wife telling her that she had contacted herpes from him. So, Sarlow's getting sued for transmitting herpes to a love affair. Um, it seems super gossipy, and it is, but my question is, like, fidelity is the real topic here. Like, traveling pro surfers, mm -hmm. are, groupies are throwing themselves at them every yeah. stop they go. And I would say not even pro surfers, just you traveling the world. You go to Bali and there's prostitution, yeah. there's those things everywhere, and they see an American and then you have money. So for a pro surfer, this is even more an issue. How practical is fidelity for traveling pro surfers is my question to you, Rezzy, Mr. World Traveler. Um, yeah, no, this is, it's a sad story um, for the Sarlo family. Uh, I, I know Alan, I, I booked Mentawai boat trips and he was one of my customers. Really? Uh, yeah, he went with his son. And I, I know I surf Malibu a lot. I see him at Lowers a lot. I, I ran into him when I was a Grom in Hawaii. <clears throat> this is a sad thing for the family. And um, I, it's just, uh, I, there's two sides to every story, first of all. Yeah. So I'd like to, you know, hear yeah, the other side. Yeah, it's all Regardless, number two, uh, I didn't know he had more than $5 million to be sued. So <laughs> must maybe be doing, he doesn't. Must, must be doing well, or I don't know what she's thinking. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but uh, uh, it's... It's a tough situation, and, and I, I personally, as far as this subject is concerned, I hope you know the family recovers through this. Yeah. And um, I know it's got to be really difficult. Really, because I remember when my parents got a divorce uh, over an issue, uh, it was it was tough, and I was in my twenties, and it was difficult. And yeah. so, um, I hope they get through this. Uh, how important is um, fidelity through pro surfing? Or, yeah. Um, how practical is it even? I mean, look. I, you could be a pretty straight and narrow dude, but there's a lot of temptation. There's a lot of temptation, but uh, you got to know before you get into uh, being a pro surfer, or you got to know what you're in for, you know. And uh, if you're a strong-headed person, you could pull it off. Um, but uh, look, if if you're if you're married and um, <clears throat> there's a problem with your marriage, you got to discuss it. And, and I think most people, they don't discuss it. They hide it. And they, you know, uh, a pro athlete, uh, I don't care what sport they're in, you know, they may travel and they might have a problem or a fight with their wife or something. And then and they think by, you know, having sex with another woman that that will just, you know, make the problem go away or make them feel better about themselves. Uh, I think it's very important to, the whole point of a relationship is to communicate. Yeah. So if they communicate with each other if they have any tough times they'll get through it but um i mean it, with that kind of temptation that's uh <laughs> here's you know, my question what how practical is it even i mean it is does a scenario exist where you can live that lifestyle and not cheat yeah okay yeah of course okay yeah of course yeah i mean look uh i i quit drinking let's just say that right and um not because I thought I was an alcoholic or anything, but just for my health. Yeah. Um, people are drinking all around me. Um, I'm not like freaking out or, or, you know what I mean? Or if, if you quit a drug, let's mm -hmm. just say, uh, you have a drug problem. I mean, you got to be able to handle being around right. drugs, not taking it. And, and I'm, it's 
a weird comparison to make to, no, to women, not. but yeah. an addiction is an addiction. Yeah. So if you uh, are going to be surrounded by women and you're going to be on tour, you got to be strong that if you really do, you know, love your wife, right? That uh, you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't cheat on her, and uh, you got to actively commit yeah. to knowing these temptations are on the road, right? And I'm committed to yeah. focusing on my surfing, basically. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's uh, you can't be 100 percent selfish and. Uh, yeah. I could see, you know, that uh, being an athlete, the ego, the fame, the money, um, it, there's, you know, you become selfish. Yeah. Uh, I think they many times a world champion will say it was the most selfish year of their life. Right. Uh, they will say that. And, uh, they, and they will have wives and say, I, I'd be out of the zone with my wife at dinner. I'd be out of the zone. Um, you know, I remember Mick Fanning saying something like that. He said, yeah, I remember that Yeah, too. and so it, it, you have to be really selfish and, and that's dangerous. Yeah. When you're in a relationship. Totally. How could you be in a relationship when you're selfish? Right. Right? Well, I remember somebody talking about Taj. About that's the reason why Taj has never won a world title. Not because he was selfish, but because he liked partying and mm -hmm. chicks. And he likes mm -hmm. all this stuff that comes with that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So he's indulging in the lifestyle of being a pro surfer. But what, you know, the downside of that is a perpetual fifth place on the tour. Mm. You know, which is still really good. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, if he's doing but, that, if he's doing that and partying, imagine what he could do if he got on the straight and narrow. The you know? difference between that and a world champ is foregoing the alcohol and the women. Yeah. And just surfing. Focus. Um, so modern surfers are bringing their wife and kids on tour. Yeah. Uh, Parco, uh, CJ, Kelly Slater bringing Kalani, his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And I know in Fiji, I think this past year, he had his daughter with yes. him. So... Josh Kerr brings his family. Yeah, that's right. And so do you think having your family unit with you on the road, is that helpful towards your professional surfing? Because it does kind of mm. uh, prevent you from indulging in the lifestyle that comes with it. Yeah. Or is it a hindrance because now you have this extra distraction? Okay, that's a good question. First of all, it's very expensive. <laughs> well, all right? Very expensive. The only guys doing it yeah, are the, the top na five, The names yeah. that you named, they're probably making seven figures uh, or close to it annually. So... Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it could work both ways. I mean, imagine if you're having a, before your heat, you're trying to get your kids and your wife out, out the door and you get in an argument. And oh God. Kids are, you know, it's added stress, but, uh, it can also, it all depends on the type of person you are. Yeah. Or, uh, it could calm you down and keep mm -hmm. you focused at night, going to bed early. Uh, it all depends on, you know, the individual. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I don't have a family, so I can't really. Right. But I'm just looking at it like. If I had kids and they're all screaming in the morning or, or if I had an argument with my wife at night or something yeah. it, it, while you have a heat going on. Um, but at the same time, if you know, if you, your, your, your past was that you're a party animal when you were younger on the QS um, and now you're more mature and you're on the world tour, the family unit can help keep you grounded, focused, yeah. and, make you, and, and not make you feel as alone. Right. Uh, so, um, I think that the best surfing that I ever do is when I am living in the moment and really at peace with myself and just when I'm actualized. Yeah. When I've forgotten the stresses of the day and I'm just living for this isolated experience, kind of letting the energy flow through me, you know, and just not even thinking about the lip that I'm going to hit, just like letting it happen. And so I think for those surfers, if you're able to bring your personal life where you feel that way. You're at home, comfortable with your family. That's your true self. You're able to bring that bubble with you on the road and kind of live that way throughout 
each stop on tour and recreate that experience where you're most comfortable, that might be the most successful uh, scenario for you. If you're constantly trying to shift gears of like, um, I need to like forget about my family and focus on this heat and focus on winning. Yeah, you're gonna hit the you're gonna hit the right mark occasionally, but you're also gonna miss the mark occasionally. I think Slater's the one guy who's found a way to kind of wherever he is on in the world, he's at home. You know, he has these pockets of people that he knows everywhere around the world. His diet is consistent everywhere he goes. Mm-hmm. He's got the same people, Stephen Bell up until recently, Kalani Miller, like that he travels with everywhere he goes. And so he's able to just kind of like be at home on every single wave. I think that's the key to success, you know. Yeah, no, he's he's doing it right, but I'm sure he's made some huge sacrifices. Absolutely. Huge. I mean, just uh, with his daughter alone, it's a huge Absolutely. sacrifice. So, um, you know, uh, he knows you have to make big sacrifices if you want to be a multiple world champion. Yeah. You know, and uh, he made big ones, you know. Yeah. Uh, so. For sure. Um, couple of topics that I don't think we're going get to get into just because of time constraints, but I do want to point to them mm-hmm. we had a lifeguard die in newport beach this past weekend yes i've been you, thinking about this yeah what do you well let me give the backstory okay. real quick so listeners who don't live locally uh understand ben carlson died on sunday uh july 6th the waves have been pretty big in southern california so after he rescued a swimmer who was struggling in six to eight foot surf at 16th street in newport beach um at 5 p.m Carlson, the lifeguard, jumped off a rescue boat. So he wasn't even swimming from the shore. The rescue boat mm-hmm. came in from the ocean. He jumped off the rescue boat and saved the swimmer and then disappeared in the surf. One helicopter, seven boats from various agencies, and at least 25 people helped in the search for Carlson. He eventually washed up ashore near the pier, which is about a mile, less than a mile away, yeah. uh, three hours later at 8.15 p.m. and was pronounced dead shortly thereafter at Hogue Hospital. It's unclear exactly what went wrong and why Ben drowned, but he was an active surfer and swimmer. He spent time surfing the wedge, which is a big wave spot, so he's very capable, athletic, and he was also the first lifeguard to die in the line of duty in the 100-year history of the Newport Beach lifeguard. What are your thoughts, Razzie? Okay, this is, uh, I'm putting all this together. Um, Now, I saw another article put out by the Orange County Register, which said that he died at 28th Street. But it had like this aerial photograph of this heavy rip current at 16th Street. Rusty Long commented on it. He said that Ben Carlson, is that his name? He said that he's able to handle giant surf in Porto Escondido. He's seen him surf giant surf. I mean, much heavier rip currents, much bigger waves. That, to frankly, this last swell was not that big of a swell. Uh, it's an average swell that comes yeah. when of good of of good size happens multiple yeah. times a summer it's it's very difficult to die as a surfer or a swimmer in southern california when you're that experienced right if you have a surfboard it needs to hit you in the head right knock you unconscious he didn't have that and um being that he's a professional swimmer He's getting paid to swim. And, and quite frankly, I've seen these lifeguard tryouts. They're very difficult. And, and, a, and a lifeguard commented, too, on the Orange County Register article. It's very difficult to qualify. You're very well trained at swimming. A lot of professional surfers that careers 
and they try to become lifeguards. Some don't even make it because they have strong upper bodies and lower bodies that can't kick well and pass the swimming race. With that said, Ben Carlson was a great swimmer, uh, a good enough surfer to surf uh, Porto. Yeah. So with all that said, it's a mystery to me. I, I don't see how he can just drown, okay? Yeah. And the waves were at 16th Street were only like eight foot faces. Right. Um, and I, I think he's smart enough to know not to dive head first or go head first over the falls, you know? Yeah. Um, it's a mystery to me. Uh, I would have to see the autopsy, blood toxicology report. Um, I don't know uh, if maybe he was on medication. Uh, maybe he had a cough syrup. I don't know. Yeah. But there's got to be something um, that I'm going to take a guess that hindered his cognitive skill. Like, for instance, if you go underwater and you inhale one foot or six inches before you hit the surface, you are in inhaling water and a wave comes. Something has got to alter his judgment um, because the waves weren't that big at 16th Street. I know where that is. Yeah. And um, and then the uh, the Orange County Register said he's at 28th Street, which actually has no waves. Right. Uh, at, during that swell angle, it's a wintertime spot. So whether it's 16th or 28th isn't the factor. It's the fact that this was a, a professional swimmer, a very good surfer, a lifeguard, and um, Porto Escondido is a hundred times more scary and gnarly than uh, than Newport Beach. So with that said, it's a mystery, and I just have to see the autopsy as it's far as blood. It is a mystery. It's a it's a tragedy first and foremost. Yeah. I mean, it's it shocked the community and kind of a lot of people totally. knew him. And it's a shock. It's so sad. But I feel the same way as you in that I can't. It it would um, be too scary, I guess, for me to just think that this could happen to any of us mm -hmm. or the most qualified among us, even. Right. I need to know that something else was at play here, Thank and you. that I'm not at danger yeah. in the water. And I could just be swept away at any moment. You know what I mean? Like I need to rationalize it to myself somehow because that's too scary to believe. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. And I think that um, they should look into this case. And if there's any kind of evidence uh, they can find through an autopsy, they need to release it to the public because it, it would help other lifeguards. Right. And it go, oh, okay, so that's the reason why. Yeah. You know, maybe he took aspirin. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just saying. Whatever. Whatever it is. NyQuil. I have no idea. Um, what I'm trying to say is it would help other lifeguards in training because this guy, um, I, I seen all the social media posts and everyone, apparently everyone that surfs in Newport knew him. Right. This guy was a, a good surfer, a good swimmer. So you want to know because it scares you like it wow is, could yeah. I, could i could i die surfing 16th street like right. or swimming right. you know cuz I, I always knew that if you surf and if a board hits you in the head yeah. in the barrel you can knock you unconscious regardless of if it's a 6 foot face wave or a double overhead wave right. um, but without a surfboard it's it's baffling so i want to know what else was was at at play here yeah. and there's no shark you know, attack thing. I wondered that too, like if he did have some sort of head trauma, like when he was rescuing mm. the swimmer, if that swimmer's knee maybe hit him in the temple. Yeah. Or something. Anything. Like any any you know, any kind of health condition that he yeah. may not have known about prior. Yeah, yeah. Um so there's curious it seems though that the lifeguards um did everything right. I mean the fact that the boat was there, they were on the scene instantly trying to figure out where he was, you That's know. So mystery. it really is. It's a tragedy though. I mean such a such a sad situation. The kid was thirty two. Especially for the parents too. I know. Um, you know, it's so difficult. The other thing that um, 
you talked about Tom Curran surfing Jay Bay, mm-hmm. and uh, word was the the most famous footage of Tom Curran surfing Jay Bay was that shot by Sonny Miller during searching for Tom Curran. And Sonny Miller news just hit yesterday that he passed away uh, from a heart attack at the age of fifty-two or fifty-three. So young. So young. Um, he passed away on July eighth. So lots of sad things happening this week. I mean, yeah. but especially timely for Sonny, just in terms of that. I mean, the current footage at J Bay, the J Bay events happening right now. That is the most iconic footage from that location. Um, so that's another tragedy that just struck that we can't go without mentioning for the yeah, show. Yeah, no, Sonny Miller is, I mean, the, I grew up to the Rip Curl search videos, and if it wasn't for him, there would be no search videos. No. And he did it in film, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a sad loss, but um, he has a legacy he's left behind, which is, which is amazing. Those totally. videos are timeless. They really are. Uh, do you, did you come up with a Duke and Kook for this week? Oh, gosh, okay. Um, Duke and Kook. Who's well, your Duke Kamano? Okay, the, uh, probably Timmy Reyes. Oh, nice for for winning for winning that contest because that's that's a huge accomplishment. That's a great to call. do that that far in your career later on is huge because most of the people are like constantly competing nonstop. Yeah. And Timmy just like does a part time competing. Right. So that's huge. It's it's major with all the good surfers that were there as well. Uh, Jordy Smith was there. Yeah. So um, and then uh, the Kook. Well, I. <laughs> I saw your coup, which is a good one, so I don't want to steal that one. Okay. But uh, my coup would have to be at Malibu. This this lady, this this older woman. When was this? Uh, this was on Sunday. Okay. No, Monday. Monday. Okay. She, I, I paddle out, and, and usually my first wave dictates how I'm going to have my session, so I paddle sure. straight into a set. I'm so pumped. And I know Malibu, everyone snakes you, but eventually they kick out, or, or if they snake you, they know how to get out of the way, whatever. This lady on like an 11-foot longboard, um, she's been snaking everybody and sitting the widest. She drops it on me, and I see her on her stomach, and she's on her stomach for three seconds. Then she's on one knee for like two more seconds, and then finally she gets up, and I'm right next to her. I'm like, excuse me, lady, can you get off this wave? She goes, I was up first in this like old maid, like I was up first. While you're standing While I'm standing, I'm trying to talk to her. She goes, I was up first, and my, my, I threw me for such a look. I'm like, I just saw you crawl up like a child, (laughs) (laughs) you know, And, and so... I'm like, okay, maybe I could bump her rail off. And uh, her board's so big, the thing's like a train. You, I couldn't get off the track. She grabs my suit and throws me down. No. I was like, I can't believe it. So she, you know, I wait for her to paddle back out because I was just so, I, I was like, oh my God, this is a bomb wave. Went all the way like close to the pier and remained head high the whole wave. I go, are you kidding me, lady? Lady, you know, uh, did you not see me get up first on your inside? She goes, I was up first. I go, you were crawling up. I saw you on one knee. She goes, that's how I get up. I go, that's not considered being up first. Secondly, I'm on the inside. And she was arguing with me. I go, lady, you are so delusional that you will pass a lie detector test. Yeah. You know, that's how delusional she was. And, you know, after about 30 minutes, she finally came up and apologized to me. Oh, really? Yeah, she actually did apologize. But it's too late because I was out of the zone. I wasn't getting sets anymore. She just kind of put me in that bad vibe. But, um, yeah, it was it, that was the kook. That's crazy, For the week dude. for me, so. Did I see you post something about that online and mm. other people commented mm. like, No, no. Oh, I've. I got burned by that lady too. No, 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 Maybe no, no, I'm thinking no, no, somebody, no else. somebody else. No, no, no. But but when I was in the water, everybody else said she she got they got burned by okay. her, and I was talking. They're like they're like this lady is unbelievable. 
to say that she's up first and she literally, it's actually the first time I've seen somebody stay on one knee and on their stomach for so long while riding the wave. Wow. It couldn't have been any more farther from the truth that she was up first. Either if, she, let's say she was up, she was up first. Let's just say. I was already on the inside of she her. She was off on the shoulder. Yeah, yeah, way off on the shoulder. Yeah. So whatever. Insane, dude. Back to that etiquette conversation we were having. Uh, Jeez. Uh, you know. Okay, so my kook uh, for the week is the fisherman who hooked a white shark on the Manhattan Beach Pier, fought it for 45 minutes on the line, and then cut the line as a group of swimmers approached. The shark ultimately bit one of the swimmers, and uh, the swimmer thankfully lived, but it's been on the news and everything. Yeah, I saw and it. It's terrible. There's video of it, and... There's been a couple of white shark sightings in Manhattan Beach mm -hmm. in the last couple months. Last summer. Last summer there was a big one, yeah. People would not even want to surf there. Right. But nobody got bit, I don't think, right? No, no, I don't Until think. now. Yeah. And so they're saying, basically, there's footage that exists, so we can verify all these facts. But they're saying the reason why this attack happened was just that it was a provoked attack. The shark was agitated by being on the line for 45 minutes. Mm. Um, and then... In the video that's filmed from the pier over the shoulders of the fishermen, the fishermen are kind of laughing about it. Terrible. Yeah. I was so upset about that. Were you? What kind of world do we live in when people like to see other people fail? We like to see other people get hurt. Yeah. And, 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 that's, and that's, that's what people want to see, apparently. And, and these people laughing and giggling while someone's being attacked by a shark? Yeah. It's sickening. And th these could be like fathers. They could be uh, husbands. I mean, these are... If I dad, if I ever saw my dad laughing at somebody getting attacked by a shark, I would never call him again. Yeah, I would never talk to him again. Yeah. Like I don't even want to be associated with a person that laughs at somebody else while, while they're suffering right. or videotapes it and just sits there. Doesn't even use their phone to call nine one one. Uses their phone instead for an Instagram post of a guy getting attacked by a shark. See, I that's what the social commentary was like too online. And to be honest, when I first watched it, I didn't feel that much vitriol. Like, I felt like they, the guys on the pier weren't certain that it was actually a shark attack that happened. They knew there was a shark and they knew there were swimmers, but it's like they weren't sure that the shark had bit the guy. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a process of that you kind of hear them go through of coming to the realization of like, oh, did he get bit? Whoa, whoa, wait, is he screaming? Oh, do you think he got bit? Well, what? What's happening? What's happening, you know? Yeah, no, I get that. But, I mean, at one point, what, what level of education these people have to not even take a... I mean, come on. Right. There's a shark in the water. Right, exactly. There's people swimming a few feet away from it. Right. What do you think? Is a dolphin that bit the guy? Or right. I mean, like, at some... I mean, nobody was like... The way that they were talking... I agree. ...was like, it was no big deal. It was a joke. I'm right. like, this isn't a video game right. where you get to do over again. This is actually happening. And... Anybody, and I'm sure everyone's seen the movie Jaws. Right. I mean, how does that how does that not come to mind? Like that that this is actually a serious situation and, it, and it's life threatening. Right. And they, to me, the people videoing and the, and the commentary in the background show that they didn't give a damn about human life. Right. To them, it was entertainment. Yeah. Okay. Well, your your sentiment is definitely echoed across the internet, and Alex yeah. Gray even chimed in and Instagrammed. Mm -hmm. The video and then like a long explanation of how irresponsible the actions were on the on the fisherman's behalf, and the fisherman's name. He Alex called the fisherman out by name. The name was released. Oh, excellent. Yeah. So like, there's not going to be any legal action take taken. Like he didn't do anything illegal. But I have a feeling 
that his name is going to be just defamed. Like, Dude. I don't want to be associated with that guy. If yeah. that guy was my friend, I wouldn't be his friend after that video. Right. I'd be like, you don't, seeing that, you'd be like, this kind of guy wouldn't have your back. Not to mention, you can track people down now on the internet, find out where they live mm -hmm. and all the death threats that could be yep. involved. You yeah, know, it's, it's terrible. Like, stuff happens. So, crazy situation. It's in, inhumane, that, the way yeah. I saw that video. Crazy situation. Um, my Duke, I'm giving to Sonny Miller, who we just discussed, uh, for his vivid depiction of Tom Curran, among many other things. Sonny passed away from a heart attack on Tuesday, July 8th. Rest in peace, Sonny. One thing I'd like to say about Sonny Miller, um, reviewing some of that video footage, was just, again, in today's narcissistic society and culture, everything that is done is done with a unique thumbprint. Like... Kai Neville puts a clip out. We know it's a Kai Neville clip. You don't even have to see Kai Neville's name. You just know it's his yeah. because it's stylized like right. Kai Neville. And uh, and that's not a knock on Kai. I like Kai. But everybody who does something just wants their own name plastered on it and wants their own thumbprint on it. Sonny Miller footage, you go back and look at it and you don't think, this is Sonny Miller footage. You think... This is Tom Curran surfing beautifully at J-Bay. So what Sonny did was get out of the way of great surfing. He documented it. He's in the background. He's the transparent lens that we're all able to view the beauty in its natural state. And I really admire that about Sonny. And that was the stuff I was raised on. And it's like today's thing, you'll see I watched a great all the Nambia Skeleton Bay footage yes. of Benji Brand and some other guys. There was a six-minute edit that was put out a couple weeks ago. I watched it, yeah. But it's so over-edited. It's like, I just want to see the surfing, but it's like cut to, flashback to this, rewind this, fast-forward this, discolor that, hyper-contrast this, blend in the, this clip to that. It's just over-edited, and it's like, you get done with the edit, and you're like, I have a headache from watching that. And I got to see a couple good waves, but I'm so distracted by the thumbprint of the editor. Mm -hmm. Sonny Miller, perfect example of just getting out of the way of beautiful surfing. That's my homage to Sonny. Well, I got to agree with you. Your Duke and Kook is 10 times better. No, not... Uh, but I'm not going to steal yours, so I had to think of a different... Uh, no, dude, not at all better or no, worse. They're equal. I'm, you know, but, so... Sonny's I agree man. with you 100%. Sonny's yeah. the man, dude. That's a that's a style of filmmaking that we really don't often see today. No, I, I agree. I mean, I was uh, it inspired me throughout my surfing life watching yeah. his films. Uh, like I said, with the with the search videos. Yeah, all of them. And you were on Team Rip Curl, right? Yes, at, during uh, just right after he searching for Tom Curran. Yeah. So that pretty much I came in when I think he was just had stepped out. I don't know. Cool. Uh, do you have a must see moment this week? Must see moment. Well. I really like, uh, speaking of the GoPro thing, I think that uh, Anthony Walsh barrel, uh, four or five barrels in one wave at Desert Point was pretty nuts because it's not only difficult to get a wave that gives you four or five barrels in one wave, to capture it from that angle without any water spots, without any, like he was changing hands with the GoPro, like from right hand to left hand, then looking at himself. Right. I was like, dude, I feel like I'm in the barrel. Yeah. Um, that was a pretty amazing uh, footage that was released in the last, I don't know, seven, eight days. Was he there when you were there? No, he went the next 12 week later. Okay. Uh, I believe so. Um, and then uh, I think he was at a different wave 
in Indo. Okay. Uh, I probably shouldn't say the name. While but, you were there. Yeah, while I was there. And then uh, uh, Kobe Abertins was also very amazing. Was his a GoPro or was it no, a like, shot Kobe Abertins was a shot from the beach. Yeah, I saw but, that. But, uh, I mean, I saw the wave he got at the grower was just giant. And then I saw the one he got from up to point where he gets three barrels on one wave. That was surf line wave of the day. You were in the water that day? No, that was also, there was two swells. There was one June 19th and 20th. And then I think on another one that came in at, towards the end of June. Okay. There was two big swells and surf line did the coverage of both those swells. Right. So the second swell was, I think, even bigger than the one that I got. Got it. So that's why. Tell I mean. me about surfing that wave a little bit. What's it like? What are the, okay. Um, what are the, uh highlights or lowlights of it it looks okay. like it looks perfect but it also looks incredibly difficult to surf yes 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 it's not as easy to surf as you think you can get going too fast right and you can be going too slow right okay this wave um first of all it changes it'll go from uh flat to double overhead in a matter of hours on tides okay. so there could be a swell in the water a pumping swell and on the wrong tide it'll appear if you rolled up to it and you didn't know anything about this wave and say it was 20 years ago and you rolled up to it for two hours watching it and it was chest high, you'd be depressed and leave. Hmm. Only to hear by a different group of people that rolled up two, three hours later that it was double overhead and firing and you wouldn't believe them. Right. This wave does that. I've surfed many waves in Indonesia, been all over the Manawais over a dozen times and there's no other wave that breaks like Desert Point the way it, it'll not break for hours and then go to double overhead. Right. And um, it's it's really tidal. It's It's got some strange current that runs through it. Um, and then uh, the wave, it, like I said, when you drop in on it, it's got this huge wall in front of you. It makes you think that you need to race it when you need to slow down. And then other times when you slow down, you need to race it. Mm. It's about timing the lip with the curtain and... It's a lot different than most other lefts that I've surfed in Indo. It's different than Greenbush. It's different than Hideaways. It's different than No Can Do It's It's a different barrel to ride. It's very technical. Um, and uh, it's challenging. And I can imagine being backside. Wow. Because uh, it's it's hard to push through the back of a barrel backside. Yeah. And at the end of the wave, or towards the end of the wave, it gets thicker at this part called the grower and you can't push to the back of the wave backside. So I see a lot of people get injured and can you straighten out. You can, uh, you, once you're locked in, you're locked in, you can't straighten out and the safest place is the barrel. No, yeah. uh, you'll get axed on the head if you straighten out. Right. So, um, with that said, I seen injuries, you know, I see people, I seen people get the best barrels of lives. I've seen guys that can hardly surf, but have uh, a lot of confidence get the best barrels alive, bending at the waist instead of the knees, and they get the best barrels alive, sometimes better than mine. I'm going, this son of a gun has no clue. I hate that, dude. I'm like, this guy has no clue. He's bending at the waist. He just got a better barrel than I did all day. I hate that. Because he doesn't know how to pump in the barrel, so he's sitting deeper in the barrel. You know, all he can do is just do the power stance, and by doing that power stance, he's getting the deepest barrel of his life, bending at his waist, um, and the barrel's so wide, it has enough room for him to bend at the waist. And then it just gets blown out. Yeah, it's blown out. I'm going, oh my God, maybe ignorance is bliss. So um, anyways, uh, it's far away from the nearest medical place. You you have a two-hour drive. So there's dangers to that too. Um, I see a lot of people end up with uh, uh, scars on their face for life and have to... Uh, leave the spot, you know? Crazy. Go then go get plastic surgery, literally. So Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Um, I forgot to mention mm-hmm. my... my. Oh, no, I didn't. Never mind. Mm-hmm. I was going to say my must-see moment. Um, what is that? Shane Dorian's wave at Puerto Escondido. That's right. Okay. I have a feeling everybody's probably seen it at this point, but I if have. you haven't, go to surfsplendorpodcast.com. I will have the clip. 
basically Shane, he was in Indonesia. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was for that swell. It was for the a second one. The second one. Mm -hmm. And then flew all the way back to Hawaii just to get boards to then fly to Puerto Escondido where he only surfed, I think, he said he got three waves or something or surfed three days. Did he, he didn't do the big wave contest? No. Okay. I don't think so. All right. Um, so goes to Puerto Escondido. It's this massive, massive uh, swell in Puerto. He was out there with a couple of other dudes. And um, ultimately, he said he surfed four hours and caught one wave. Mm -hmm. They show him paddling into one other wave that he barely misses, which is just so scary looking. It's like awesome that he didn't go because the guy would have died probably but then waits for another one free fall drops the first half of the wave it's a paddle in so paddles into the peak at puerto free fall drops down the first half of the wave sticks it barely kind of doesn't even drive off the bottom kind of mid face bottom turns up under the curtain the thing folds gets blown out the end of it and it's just i mean it's a wave i don't know 20 plus foot but it's puerto and it's a beach break and uh gets blown out onto this frothy kind of monstery end section and um it is arguably going to be one of the waves of the year in the billabong xxl awards there's another honorable mention of gabriel villaron that, that gets a sick one yeah not as clean more frothy and when he comes out he makes it but then kind of gets knocked off so it's not as beautiful as shane's but honorable Treachery. mention yeah. yeah so those are my must-see moments yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, Shane Dorian uh, is one of the uh, most amazing surfers from one foot to a hundred foot. Yeah. That's very difficult to be that versatile. Yeah, and so, arguably in the best shape of his career. Yeah, it's um, he's one of the, the few free surfers left getting paid, and he's doing it in his 40s, and it's amazing. He's right. got the ultimate life. I mean, I see his Instagram, the guy's going snowboarding, he's going to Jaws, and then he's doing this. Bow I mean, hunting. Yeah, the guy's got an endless bank account. The guy's rolling. Yeah, huge, he does, And he's yeah. charging, and he's putting his life on the line. Yeah. It's amazing. He's got the, a little bit like you, he's got the Benjamin Button status going on, like uh, reverse aging. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, that was funny. Yeah, no, I literally saw gray hair where the roots were black. I was going, what the hell's going on? Really? Yeah, I was, I was plucking some, like I have like a couple gray hairs on my sides. I plucked a couple and I saw the roots were black. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? I'm, I'm, I'm going backwards? I had to photograph it and post it because my friend didn't believe it. I missed it. that. I didn't yeah, see it. Yeah, no, I posted it. It's pretty nuts. Amazing, dude. Yeah, literally, the roots, yeah, the root was black. Like 50% of the hair was black from the roots, and the other 50 was gray. I was like, okay, I'm going backwards. It's great. Gotta bottle that and sell it, dude. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's the show, dude. Okay. Well, thank Surf you for Splendor. Me. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so much, much, Rezzy. Yeah, no worries. Epic. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Surf Splendor. That is the show for today. Thank you to Tom Resvin for sitting in and co-hosting. I'm curious to hear what the listeners think of Tom. And I encourage you to come to surfsplendorpodcast.com and leave a comment on today's show's page. Uh, I could talk to Tom endlessly. And so hopefully um, you guys can listen to Tom because he did not begin to unpack his vault of surf experience and 
theory and uh, just topics that he's interested in that he's got some really, really interesting uh, ideas and things that we can discuss at length and in depth that I think would actually be a great fit for the podcast. So give me your thoughts on Rezzy and if you enjoyed him. And if you did, I will then, you know, tell him how many fans he has out there and hopefully we can get him on future shows. And then, of course, as always, I need to encourage you just to rate and review the show on iTunes and Stitcher. That helps other people to find the show. It helps the show grow. Just continue telling your friends. Why not follow us on social media? You can just repost the show. um, Share it on your friends' walls. If there's a particular episode that you like, put it on their wall and say, hey, check the show out, you know, and hopefully, I mean, if we had every listener that we have do that to one friend in theory our listenership could double in the next month and who knows it could grow exponentially from there so uh i encourage you to do that the show's completely free but that's your investment in the future of the show the more people who are listening the more shows we will be able to produce so let's keep the snowball growing and gaining momentum so i thank you for that Um, Also, make sure to check out the Spotify player on our website. We have playlists from every single episode. So if you're wondering about any of the music that is used in Surf Splendor, everything is available to listen through Spotify or um, links to the music where it exists on YouTube. So you can listen to everything for free on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And, of course, I'll have all of the ancillary videos Uh, that accompany today's show that that Tom and I discussed throughout the episode. So that's pretty much it for me for this week. I will actually be out of town for the next two weeks, but I am uh, intending to record shows remotely and publish from out of town. So we should keep everything on track. I will look forward to hearing from you in between now and then, and uh, you'll hear from me, you know, next week. So this is your host of Surf Splendor, David Scales, saying thank you for listening, and until next week, aloha. Aloha.